Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of TechSpansive. I am Sean Dubrovac at Avrio Institute. And I'm Ross Rubin at Radical Research. A tremendous amount of tech news this week. Uh, we saw a lot of earnings announcements, many of them quite positive. Just running through uh, some of those, we saw Qualcomm reporting quarterly revenue of $7.9 billion. That's up 52% year over year driven by uh, smartphone demand. We saw eBay report Q1 revenue of $3 billion, up 42% year over year. Uh, Shopify reported revenue of close to $990 million, up 110% year over year. Spotify with Q1 profits of 23 million euros, uh, up from 1 million euro a year earlier. So we're seeing uh, massive growth in, in revenues, massive growth in sales. Uh, you're seeing stronger monthly average users across a number of these platforms. Spotify reported their MAUs are up 24% year over year. But the two we thought we would, would take a little bit deeper dive on were Apple and Facebook. So Apple reported quarterly revenues of $89.6 billion. That's up 54% year over year, uh, driven primarily by iPhone sales and, and Mac sales, all of which were extremely strong. Mac sales of $9.1 billion during the quarter. That's up from $5.4 billion last year. iPad sales up from $4.4 billion last year to $7.8 billion this year. And uh, just tre tremendous growth uh, across the board. You saw uh, iPhone sales up from $28.9 billion to $47.9 uh, billion in, in the last year. So uh, phenomenal hardware growth. We also saw some pretty strong service growth, didn't we, Ross? Yeah, Apple now announcing that it has uh, 660 million subscribers uh, across its, uh, its various products. Uh, and uh, the great thing for the company uh, in terms of some of those hardware figures you mentioned, Sean, is that of course, you know, every time Apple sells a new Mac, a new iPad, uh, there's a new iPhone, there's another opportunity to lay the foundation for uh, future services uh, subscription growth. Uh, I think it's been very interesting to see what's been happening in both the iPhone and, uh, and the iMac markets. Uh, with the iPhone, we're definitely, uh, and, and I think in both cases, we're seeing exceptional growth because of two uh, arguably generational uh, changes. Uh, with, with the Mac, uh, we're seeing the shift to a new processor family that might have uh, been preceded by a little bit of a drop-off uh, as uh, customers anticipated the new architecture, but that never happened because of the pandemic. Uh, and so sales uh, maintained uh, brisk volume last year. Uh, and when Apple announced the M1 chip uh, max and uh, you know, the reviews were, were uh, very favorable, um, even though you know, they were available at uh, essentially the same prices as, uh, as previous models, uh, consumers really embrace that. Uh, at the launch of the new IMAX uh, that we talked about last week on the podcast, uh, Tim Cook talked about how the 
majority of the Mac sales already are uh, M1 based uh, Macs, which again are not surprising because uh, Apple has brought it to their highest volume uh, platforms. But um, uh, with the M1 Max, uh, you know, Apple uh, clearly believes that there's a lot of strong potential there. And they've, they've shown that confidence with all the different colored skew, uh, SKUs that they are offering uh, on that product. Um, and then of course, with the iPhone, you have 5G. Uh, and, uh, you know, the 5G networks are Still uh, building out, uh, Apple made a, a big deal about supporting millimeter wave on the, um, uh, on, on the iPhone uh, 12, uh, had uh, Verizon's um, CEO uh, up, up on stage with Tim Cook. Uh, but uh, a, a new report uh, this week from uh, OpenSignal noting that uh, phones, uh, 5G phones spend a, a, a less than 1% uh, of their time on these millimeter wave uh, networks. Uh, so um, still a long way to capture the, the potential of, uh, of, of 5G, uh, but there is benefit today. And uh, uh, I guess customers wanna be future-proof. Um, the one uh, thing that uh, you know, was perhaps a little disappointing uh, in terms of Apple numbers are that the, uh, the, the wearables uh, revenue uh, hasn't been growing as quickly as uh, some of the other categories, some of the more established categories. Some of that may be, again, due to the pandemic, uh, people were not buying uh, highly mobile uh, headphones um, or you know, maybe, maybe some were because of the noise canceling features that are not in the baseline uh, AirPods. But really, I, I think we're just starting to see a lot of saturation. Um, you know, AirPods are, are uh, you know, have, have their best experience with, with iPhones uh, and a lot of people already have uh, AirPods and we're starting to see a, a lot of competition. Uh, we talked on the podcast, uh, I guess about a month ago about, um, you know, this new Qualcomm Snapdragon sound effort uh, which is really intended to empower a, a wide range of competitors uh, to the AirPod to, uh, to compete better with the AirPod experience in terms of noise canceling and, um, uh, and, and, and the strength of the Bluetooth connection and the pairing experience. So, uh, so that's one of the shifts we're seeing in, in that segment. We did see uh, other news that it isn't just Apple that's benefiting from the, the sales of, of smartphones. And, and I'm not so convinced that it's, uh, you know, people buying 5G phones because they want 5G or because they're trying to future-proof themselves just because we replace these devices uh, really quite frequently um, and, and uh, are always looking to upgrade to newer models. And so I feel like there's just been strong demand for devices across the board. Apple has benefited from that. Uh, we saw that Canalis Research reported global smartphone shipments in Q1 up 27% year over year, reaching 347 million units during the quarter. And uh, Samsung took first place there, shipping 70 6.5 million. That's a 22% share. Well, Apple has uh, about a 15% share. So um, it you know speaks to not just what's happening here in the U.S., but obviously what's happening in much of the the world. Uh, we also saw announcements this week of a few new laptops from Samsung. 
Yeah, and uh, these are the new uh, Galaxy Book Pros. Uh, they replace uh, a couple of um, laptops that uh, Samsung already had in its lineup, the, the Ion and the Flex. And so the new models are the Standard Pro and the Pro 360, which is a yoga-like wraparound model. Uh, these are impressive devices. You know, they are incredibly thin. Uh, they're available with uh, 5G. Uh, Samsung talked about how they uh, optimized uh, the, the keyboard. Um, you know, they, uh, they, they really did a lot of uh, tight collaboration with, uh, with Microsoft uh, and, uh, and Intel. And, uh, and we really see as Samsung goes through its annual device cycle and upgrades each uh, of its device families that they are getting better at making a stronger uh, ecosystem play. So for example, and, and, and sharing more of the experience across platforms, whether that be uh, being able to run apps from a Galaxy phone uh, on your laptop or bringing uh, their migration tool that they've had on the phones for a while to, to Windows, uh, improving the synchronization between Samsung Notes, which is their note-taking uh, app on, on the Galaxy phones and bringing that to Windows and synchronizing it with, um, without, uh, with OneNote. Um, so, uh, <clears throat> you know, Samsung, uh, you know, at least here in the U.S., is, uh, of course, a, a very small player in, in laptops, but uh, they are trying to glom onto this uh, idea that your laptop should be more like your phone. Um, they would certainly benefit uh, from consumers believing that uh, you know that that that's the case. And you know, frankly, borrowing a a big part of the the marketing message that uh, Qualcomm uh, put forth when when it uh, started uh, getting into the PC space. Uh, you know, that said, these are Intel based. PCs, they are very slim, they have long battery life. And while Intel really still has a long way to go to catch up with some of the other silicon makers in terms of, uh, of uh, power efficiency, uh, this is, uh, you know, th this shows that they can get close enough where consumers may just uh, decide that they don't want or, uh, to deal with the Qualcomm uh, compatibility issues. We saw the same thing or something very similar actually many years ago when Microsoft brought uh, Windows to ARM with, uh, with Windows RT and the Surface RT uh, and uh, Intel responded and they seem to be doing it again. What, what's interesting, I think, with uh, a lot of these uh, stories is the, you know, the growth that's happening in, uh, specifically in China. If you look at uh, iPhone revenue and, and broadly uh, Apple's revenue, it's up 34% on a year-over-year -year basis in, in the Americas. It's up uh, 87% for China. So you've got a tremendous amount of, of growth there in China. And uh, we saw news this week also that uh, China might be set to announce its first population decline in, uh, in five decades. So the uh, growth of the of the country is slowing at a time when a lot of these large com companies really are dependent upon growth continuing to uh, to accelerate. There, Apple being one of them, Qualcomm, as, as you just mentioned, Ross being one of them as well. So, 
really dependent upon uh, some growth there. Also news that uh, uh, it's not just the, the population that uh, is feeling a bit of a squeeze in China, uh, the government also uh, requiring some of the same kinds of um, uh, some some of the same kinds of uh, terms that were imposed on uh, uh, Alibaba uh, or uh, and and uh, bringing those requirements to some of the you know best known Chinese uh, uh, internet sector companies such as uh, ByteDance and uh, and Tencent. Yeah, a lot of change happening in China right now as. The, uh, the companies that have done very well there and have benefited from a tremendous amount of, of both domestic and global growth being what appears to be reined in a little bit by, uh, by the government. As we mentioned in other earnings announcements this week, we saw Q1 numbers from Facebook. They reported revenue of $26.2 billion uh, up significantly. Uh, from $17.7 billion a year ago. They also announced that their monthly average users are now at $2.85 billion. That, that's up 10% on a year-over-year basis. A um, lot of debate here as to what will happen to ad revenue moving forward. Uh, they had ad revenue of $25.4 billion. That's up 46% year over year. So you can see that's clearly the, the bulk of their revenue. Uh, and there is some concern that in the second half of the year, they will face a little bit of a uh, headwind as uh, the, uh, the iPhone um, uh, iOS update kicks in and, and maybe some people opt out of, of tracking and that hurts them. Uh, at the same time, you've seen this week that they've uh, announced um, the really the expansion of some other strategies that they've been working on for a while. Last year, Facebook announced and introduced Facebook Shops and Instagram Shops, which is part of a, a broader push to move more commerce directly onto uh, Facebook services. You saw them uh, announce this week and, and discuss a marketplace for Instagram, which will allow creators the, the ability to uh, market and sell their products through uh, Instagram. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg did mention this week that a million businesses used click to WhatsApp ads on Facebook and Instagram, driving users to contact them directly through, uh, through WhatsApp. So a lot of initiatives underway to try to organically grow and uh, more direct revenue streams outside of the traditional ad business uh, and taking advantage of those 2.85 billion users on a, on a monthly basis to uh, transact and to, and to take part in commerce that, uh, that happens there. Yeah, transact and uh, communicate in, uh, in new ways. Uh, you know, Sean, we, we were talking earlier about the potential for shopping uh, on Facebook. Uh, it, it really seems like uh, a, a potential winner uh, because of uh, the amount of time uh, people spend on the platform, the, the social, of course, inherently social nature of it. Uh, kind of funny that over the years we've seen Amazon do uh, some very, very uh, slight toe in the water stuff uh, with social launching kind of a uh, a little Pinterest-like uh, like platform on the service that really hasn't, um, they really haven't done much with uh, since, since it launched. 
Uh, but uh, but I think some of the more interesting uh, some of the more interesting things happening are on the Instagram side, where uh, among the things that uh, Zuckerberg teased that they're looking to do is a uh, is a marketplace that would connect uh, brands with with influencers. And uh, it's been a while, but uh, I think uh, maybe about a year or so ago we chatted about uh, some of the differences between. Uh, being a creator on Instagram and being a creator on YouTube and how the lat or even Twitch uh, and how those latter platforms really allow uh, monetization through, uh, through advertising. Uh, and, uh, and of course the, the influencer phenomenon on Instagram has, uh, you know, been, been uh, huge for, for some time. Uh, and uh, this is a way for Facebook to step in uh, and, uh, and perhaps, capitalize on what have been some, uh, some very big deals or, or drive the next generation of, uh, of people to amass these, uh, these large followings. And I think one of the things that has helped Facebook or that will help Facebook with this endeavor is their push towards groups and getting people uh, of similar interests together uh, and moving away from the, the traditional news feed. Uh, and that to me really creates a perfect environment for commerce. When you already have people who have similar interests in the same place, then it creates a much easier way of, of selling them something that they might all want. And, and you can easily, you know, more easily identify them based upon the, the group and what they're discussing and what they're, you know, what they're, uh, what they're focused on. Uh, yeah, it's, all, it's also a rationalization beyond antitrust for tying together Instagram, WhatsApp, and uh, and Messenger, because of course the groups are taking place on on Facebook, the platform, uh, whereas uh, you know a lot of some of these commerce opportunities uh, may be taking place on Instagram. And, and obviously, Facebook has done a great job in their own marketplace environment, creating what I consider the uh, digital equivalent of constantly ongoing yard sales. And as those have moved, uh, you know, moved digital, moved online, Facebook has been a, become a natural clearing place for that. Uh, and really peer to peer exchange. And uh, Instagram really has been more brand to consumer exchange and, and influencer to consumer exchange. And so I think they're, uh, to your point, Ross, going to look to capitalize on all of those dynamics and try to drive more direct revenue from those users as opposed to being uh, reliant on advertising as they are today. Uh, in one final news story of the, of the week, we saw that Netflix is launching play something option. This is an, an opt-in viewing mode that lets the service pick something for you. So when you sit down and you want to watch something on YouTube, but you're not sure what to watch, it will, uh, it will use its algorithm intelligence to pick something for you, potentially easing our concerns that we're hitting peak TV era uh, and we're running out of things to watch uh, and probably following what uh, so many other platforms are doing. YouTube will automatically serve up the next video for you. Amazon will show you the next product that you should buy or, or show you other things. Uh, Netflix has in the past made recommendations 
and highlighted what's trending. And uh, now they're just going to skip to uh, auto playing that for you if you uh, if you're not sure what to pick. Yeah, I, I think there are a couple of precedents there. One is, uh, you know, when when a lot of these on demand uh, music services were coming up, uh, such as uh, Rhapsody and Spotify, uh, you know, of course, you could you now had uh, access to basically you know, millions of, of songs at, at your fingertips and uh, the choice could be overwhelming. And so what did, what did they do? They launched, uh, they all launched radio stations, you know, where they would uh, bring back that, that linear uh, experience and you weren't uh, forced to use your brain quite so much. And uh, we're, we, I, I think we've more recently seen that with uh, on-demand video after years of uh, these a la carte, uh, you know, let me, let me pick what I want. Uh, let me watch what I want when I want to watch it. Um, you know, the, the ultimate, uh, triumph of time shifting, uh, we, we've seen a number of services come along that replicate that old, uh, linear TV model and, uh, Netflix, uh, and the other paid providers are facing competition from many of these ad supported, uh, free, uh, TV uh, options, uh, many of which have a channel model, a linear model, uh, like uh, like the Roku channel or or Pluto. Um, uh, so uh, so it's not only uh, saves your saves your brain power, but also saves uh, some dollars. And so they uh, they need to uh, to respond to that. Uh, even though, as we mentioned last week, uh, they're certainly not slowing down in terms of the uh, the content development. Uh, pledging to spend, I think it was 71 billion on uh, on new content. Um, so, uh, so there'll there'll be plenty to insert into the stream. And maybe we'll start to mix these two worlds, and uh, Netflix will build out a suite of influencers that can do all of that uh, <laughs> recommendations for us. We'll have them queuing up our feeds for us. Um, Subscribe to them and, and follow their TV recommendations. Sure. It feels like we're at a really interesting point in in the timeline. We're seeing companies with just massive revenue growth, massive amount of of money. I mean, Apple. We saw them, uh, you know, they reported uh, fifty seven billion dollars of free cash flow. So that's essentially everything that's left over after you've paid all your bills and you you've satisfied the needs of ongoing operations and your dividends. Yes. And, well, and so from that free cash flows, you pay, you could pay your dividends and other things like that. So, so they have a tremendous amount of cash that they're, uh, you know, that they're creating and, and sitting on a lot of it. They did announce, uh, this week, a lot of share buybacks initiatives. So we'll start to see them use some of that free cash flow to buy back shares, but they need to return it to shareholders in, in some way or other. You see a lot of these companies looking to diversify their revenue, uh, because of competitive, fears and, and risk because of the, the need to drive a lot of revenue. When you are a big company, you have to grow in lots of ways and, and small singles don't necessarily do it for you. So you need big home runs. At the same time, you're worried about antitrust issues. So you're looking to diversify that as well and move into to other categories. So we see Facebook, for example, doing a lot of things. They continue to, to look at um, how they might compete with Clubhouse and, and others, and we saw Instagram make some announcements this week along those lines that they'll create a, a kind of an embedded clone uh, by adjusting some of their feature sets there. 
And, uh, and so it's, I think, a really interesting time in tech to see how these companies will respond to competitive threats, antitrust concerns, at the same time, growing revenue in, in lots of different ways um, and, and services. Uh, with that, we will wrap up this week's episode of Techspansive. Thanks so much for joining us. Again, I am Sean Dubrovac. You can find me on Twitter at Sean Dubrovac. And I'm Ross Rubin. You can find me on Twitter at Ross Rubin. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>